hell's wrong with you? I miss my wrestling. Use your wrestling. Yes, I. I need my wrestling. All right, man, calm down. It's all good. You know why? Because you were listening to your professional wrestling fix. Follow us on Facebook at Ten Wrestling Pro Wrestling Discussions on Twitter at the Inzigiri. And catch your new episodes of the 2300 Wrestling Podcast and the Basement Dropkick on Anchor FM, Spotify, and other leading platforms. Oh, yeah. Welcome, everybody, to the 2300 Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, D.B. Richards, alongside my sweet tea referee, Dave Keener. Hey, how's it going, ladies and gentlemen? And our third man on the side, the Bennett Factor. So wait, you're saying he's the side piece? Yeah, he's our side piece, yes. Okay, just checking. Yes, yes. I'm the side piece, Brian Bennett. <laughs> yes, Brian Bennett. That's his new name now, the side, side piece, piece yes, Brian Bennett. Because he's on I the side. I the Bennett Factor. Wait, we're going with that. Would, you're going to change my nickname on me now? You're the side <laughs> piece now. <laughs> <laughs> and who do we have on? You know, it, it, it's kind of an honor for this one, and... I, I'm kind of like speak. I you don't have the words. Use your big boy words. Big, yes. All I want to say is two things. Yes. Necro butcher. Hello, necro. Hello, gentlemen. What a glorious day it is today. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're, you're welcome. welcome, man. I am happy to have you on. And I, my one of my favorite moments, like I'm a big movie buff, is the wrestler. I, I love that movie. And when you stapled the head and all that, I. <laughs> I loved it, and I was like, "This is so much the beautiful moment in wrestling." And it should that movie should have won an Oscar. Milk was okay, but the wrestler was better. It's funny well, because was, uh... my my cousin was in that movie as well, and you knew my cousin. My cousin was Nate Hatred. Um, but just seeing him walking around, stuff like every single time, look, there's my cousin right there. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, we feel. I think that that was in the locker room there yeah. at the arena. We, you know, that was uh, pretty odd that that scene that got used in the first place because they were um, that the match itself took three days to film. Okay. Uh, two days in front of extras that were bust in, and one day uh, with a actual CCW crowd. So that film a segment, uh, have a couple matches. Film a segment, have a couple matches. Uh, like that and you know those uh, movie folks get paid by the hour you know that's those are, that's a union job you know so uh some of the matches were taken a little bit longer than uh, the movie folks had anticipated so they're paying all these people to do nothing <laughs> so they said well let's can you guys just uh hang out back here and uh, just talk about the match because they were so desperate to try to film something you know and I just a uh, little insider knowledge. I the, all the dialogue scene was totally unscripted. I just uh, in my mind the way I talked to uh, the Ram in the movie is how I talked to Sabu in real life. So I just <laughs> it p- pretended I was talking to Sabu about a match, <laughs> and then they 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 loved it and they used it in the movie. It was all just they were just trying to film something for the sake of filming it because. The wrestling matches were taking too long. And then they, they kept all in there. They said they loved it. That's pretty awesome. AC Luke was on a couple of weeks ago. And yeah. he's like, dude, I'm on the poster. And I was like, <laughs> that is awesome. Well, there, there's a point where they're talking. And all I see is Nate's face right behind them on the CZW poster. Yeah, that's, so. it's, very, it's really cool. And, right. And 
I, that's one of the things that we named our show Active Arena. So it's one of my favorite things. It's my favorite place yeah, to it's go to. Cool. Makes me not think about life and me enjoying entertainment. It's a great building. So, want to start off the show? Go ahead. Okay. Um, this is a question recently. I just bring it up now because um, what happened in Jersey? Um, do you think wrestlers should have background checks? Well, I honestly know. <laughs> I mean, do I mean it might not be the best example in the world, but uh, look at other sports. You know, our our NFL players, Major League Baseball players, Minor League Baseball players, uh, NBA developmental league guys. I mean, are these? I mean, they'll have where you know, do they have background checks for these uh, athletic fields? I mean, generally you'll see guys that'll screw up and get caught, but I mean, uh, it's like any other sector of society or athletic competition. I mean, the the whole a few bad apples thing only goes so far, but there is a good bit of truth in in that statement. You know, personally, I'm against it. I mean, because then where do you go? Who's who's making these standards? Are these standards universal? Will they vary state to state? You know, it's just, uh, I'm, by the way, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> what, 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 you say? Well, what happened in Jersey? Because I don't know. Okay, there was a promoter. Um, he hid his name um, and lied to people. He was a child. He monster. got caught with underage four times. Well, and, I mean, doesn't our legal system have an appropriate uh, punishment system for that sort of thing? I don't know. Right. Jersey does, but. Yeah. We're, we're in PA, so. Yeah, Jersey, they're letting, um, they don't, you don't need a um, promoter license in Jersey. So it's like they can do whatever they want. Well, are we talking about promoters or are we talking about the wrestlers themselves? We're talking about promoters just in general. Because he's saying wrestlers shouldn't have background checks. But, you know, with his analogy with other sports, like should coaches and managers, they should be vetted before they come in charge of a team, just like a a promoter comes in charge of different superstars. Makes sense, yeah. I like to to hear other people's views on stuff. So, yeah. Well, okay, I mean, that that clears it up. That clears up your question a a little bit better for me. Like, I don't keep up with anything at all involved in wrestling, hardly. But uh, but that's that's the thing, I mean... uh, uh, we have a system in this country. We have elected officials, and even so, some appointed officials that I guess are appointed by the ones that are elected. I don't know how it works, but we, you have to trust the process, and it's not our job to, you know, I, I, we're in no position to enforce these things. And if, you know, if someone is uh, accused of something, they deserve their right to trial. And if they're found guilty, they should uh, suffer the appropriate consequences. But if, if they haven't had their day in court, we really should reserve judgment until that time and place. But again, I'm not, I'm not totally familiar with uh, the specifics of the case in question, but I mean, yeah. we just have to, you know, we just have to stay in our lane. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like I hear you do the question and I'm a church person. <laughs> so one of my whole things is judge not at least he be judged. I understand what he did and everything else and kind of do agree with the background check, but in some ways, couldn't that be invasion of privacy? Then wouldn't well, that be with all jobs too? Well, I, right. another thing to think about too is uh, a lot of this would be uh, fall upon the shoulders of uh, was this a, a a public gymnasium he was using? What is what is a National Guard armory? 
was it a, uh, a church or university property? I mean, there's that uh, that kind of thing sh- would go into it, but that would be for the building. You know, you know what I'm saying? Every, every building, who, uh, somewhere, someone is in charge of approving or denying permission to run uh, wrestling events in said building. Ultimately, the responsibility and the blame should shift to who said this was okay, yeah. as as opposed to blankly saying, "Well, I, private citizen Joe Schmo, think this is inappropriate because of that." Well, who somewhere somewhere along the line, someone said, "Hey, use my building." Is so some uh, whether I guess you say there's no. Uh, athletic commission in Jersey, but let's say there was. Well, who said it was okay? Who approved this? Uh, how does their system? How did their system define this as an appropriate action? And should actions be taken to improve upon this process? You know, there's a whole uh, a lot more to it than you can. Even, we can uh, common folks like us can imagine. Right. Yeah. I love your whole um, view on things, man. I like <laughs> to hear everybody's views. You know what I mean? Because I'm independent. I believe. I believe. Um, being in the middle, listen to both sides, and mostly the other side's always wrong in my point of view. But um, I'm always on the the R side, you know. Well, but <laughs> there's always three sides to every story. There's always. the one person side, the other person side, and the truth. <laughs> and yeah. always, I uh, oh, I'm always the truth. Okay, I want to go back to your origin story. Um, who trained you? And give us some little background. Okay, I started. I was in the military, United States Army, from ninety. Six to ninety nine. Uh, the, my I was initially stationed in Texas, down uh, close to Austin, I guess, which is pretty much central central Texas. And I I was uh, videotaping uh, various. You know, I had a big. I'm just from a very very small town, rural hillbilly community in West Virginia. So the army wasn't. Tremendous amount of money in the big picture, but to me, it was you know it, it was like striking oil with the amount of money I was getting paid to be a you know a private in the army. <laughs> you know, and this was this was back when uh, satellite TV was not the not over the internet, not even the small plastic dishes on your window sill. Back then, satellite dishes were large metal discs that rotated in your yard. You had to sink them in concrete. Like it was a whole process to install this stuff. You know, and when you would change channel, the satellite would rotate. You know, in your yard to to go to different channels. But being a uh, being a majority of my lifetime a fan of professional wrestling, I discovered you know, hours upon hours of wrestling that was now viewable to me through the satellite TV, such as, you know, I was watching the, the Smoky Mountain stuff. I was watching Memphis stuff. I was watching uh, the, uh, the Savoldi promotion over there in Jersey. I was watching that stuff every week. I think there were about nine hours a week of Lucha Libre on television. You know, then uh, this was even before when ECW was known as uh, Eastern Championship Wrestling. You know, I was I was watching all this stuff, and uh, also I had never heard of I had never heard of such a thing called the internet, and until I enlisted in the military, and I combined my love of wrestling with the discovery of this new thing in my life, the internet, and uh, I would uh, videotape all these uh, events, and I would trade them all, through the, all throughout the world. 
I mean, there for a while I was getting, you know, weekly All Japan and New Japan TV weekly, you know, then I would, so I could circulate this and I could get older Japanese stuff, older WWF stuff. I, you know, I had a pretty huge library and I began uh, sending tapes of the All Japan and New Japan television shows. I began sending those to some gentlemen who were uh, training and had a few matches in uh, Dallas at the Sportatorium. Uh, it was no longer called World Class. I think it was called CWA or CWF, or it was a, it was a World Class ring with like the world the world's World Class were covered up. <laughs> you couldn't see a word. It was, it was that ring though, and uh, just the process of uh, communicating via email with these gentlemen. Uh, some sort of minor friendship developed and then one thing led to another, you know, and I was, the army was uh, paying my bills, obviously taking care of me. So I wasn't really trying to even have a match to get any money, you know, per se. I was just, well, this will be neat because I'll get to go up there and be in a, you know, meet the wrestlers and, learn something and you know eh, who cares this will never work out but the army's working out great so this will be like a fun thing to do you know and this was before wrestling schools you didn't know how to get into wrestling back then you didn't know what to do you had maybe talk to a wrestler maybe at their show and there were, no one knew about oh there's a wrestling school and you pay this money and blah 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 you know and it, it turned into a thing where the wrestling schools became more a money making venture than what they used to be. So now you it, it behooves the uh, promoters of these wrestling schools to just go ahead and let everybody compete and do what they want to do and just take their money and stay in business. Whereas back then, guys didn't want to train you. They wanted to just take, take a bunch of money all at once, uh, beat you up, and get rid of you. You know, uh, those very small percentage i would say less than 10 percent of the guys who would go to these tryouts would ever even have a match let alone you know four or five matches whereas now virtually everyone who comes to one of these so-called wrestling school tryouts will will, will go on to wrestle for years and years and years in, in crappy matches that no, nobody cares because they're all crappy so no there's no standard but you know you know i mean back back then it was uh you know it was i think it was 24 2500 down, I think I had to pay. Yeah, 2500 down on day one. Before you even look at the ring, 2500 bam, wow. you know. And then, of course, they would, you know, pull your arms this way and pull your legs that way. And, you know, they wouldn't, like, poke your eye or punch you, but they'd form the hell out of you and kick the hell out of you and do this and do that. And it was uh, six weeks before you could even get in the ring. You'd be on the floor you know, doing leg dive takedowns, hammer lock reversals, wrist lock reversals, bear hugs, waist locks, that kind of stuff. And it was like a, a weeding out process, yeah. you know. But like I said, I was in the Army, so I wasn't even trying to be a wrestler. I was just trying to participate on the limited scale that I thought I could. I thought, well, this will be great, you know. I'll never have a match, of course, but this will be fun to do this. So uh, at the end of all this beating, they said to me something I wasn't prepared for. They said, well, Dylan, are you coming back next week? And they all started laughing, and I thought, I didn't think that was an option. I thought the reason I was beating up was being told not to come back. 
well, if they're going to ask me, I'll show them. I'm just going to keep coming, and they can just beat me up every week because I don't care. This is fun. I love wrestling, you know. And then it just it just like the the snowball going down the hill, you know. I just kept coming back, and then eventually I could learn a counter or two, and then you know, more time progressed. The next thing you know, I'm in the ring, and then you know, it was kind of a neat setup because the weekly uh, the, the weekly uh, wrestling shows in Dallas were on Friday nights. And then the wrestling school ran on Saturday morning. So a lot of the wrestlers that would come into town for Friday would stay over. And then, you know, they would come down to try new moves out or, you know, gain political favor by assisting with the training and whatnot. So I was able to be exposed to a lot of a lot of credible wrestlers, you know, who had nothing better to do on a Saturday morning. <laughs> so it, it, was, it was, I was very lucky, really fortunate. Wow. wow. Yeah. Wow. 25. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's, that's before you ever saw the ring, before you ever saw the ring, bring 2,500. Yeah. And then the, then the plan was to beat the hell out of you. <laughs> you know, I, I would see guys do that. I would see guys leave. I'm like, wow, they just gave away $2,500 and got beat up and left. Hell with that. I'm going to make them tell me I can't come. Well, if they tell me I can't come, then I'll stop coming, you know, <laughs> but that, but that, but that, that never, uh, that never happened. And here we are 20 some years later. <laughs> <laughs> what was the best advice they ever gave you? Well, a lot of it was advice learned through experience. Like I said, you know, I would see guys quit and I would say, damn it, I'm not going to quit. You know, I don't care what happens. I don't yeah. care what they do. I don't care what they say. I'm not going to quit. And then, then you just, you know, the next thing you know, you're having a match that you're not ready for. And then the next thing you know, you're, you're, having them having a match somewhere else then the next thing you know you're winning a match then the next thing you know you're you're going out of state uh, and then you're flying somewhere then you're going out of the country and then you're on tv and it's it just you know the the main thing is just uh you just have to believe in yourself or you're wasting your time you can't you can't let someone who who couldn't do something tell you that you can't do something so many of the obstacles that we place in front of ourselves are simply that they're not actual obstacles. They're reasons that we've invented why we can't succeed, yeah. you know, and you, you just have to apply yourself, uh, believe in yourself and eventually you cannot be denied. But the key is to believe in yourself and, not not take no for an answer. I mean, there's, there's one thing between taking advice, you know, that, that's, that's a whole other subject. You should always take advice, but, you know, you should never, why should you care what someone thinks of you that you would not take advice from, you know? Yeah, and I was talking to a friend, and he's like, who are you having on your show? And I was like, Necro Butcher. And he's like, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. Please tell me about <laughs> it. I'm like, yeah. When I post the episode, you can listen. <laughs> there you go. So, ready to ask the next question? Sure. Oh, you're still yeah, here. So, yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> no, I'm just, see, when, because I referee, and the one thing I was always told was to shut my mouth and listen, and to listen to the stories that he's telling me, and just sitting here and do what I was told. Um, but you're a host. Yeah, I know that, but <laughs> somebody like Necro, I would just listen to. Um, do you have any pet peeves in the business? Um, well, I think uh, at the time I was, you know, I mean, it's a common thing now, I guess, but I really don't understand. I never saw this 
and then I went to uh, I went to some I was uh, extra talent for uh, some WWF events. I believe it was 98. But, uh, up until then, I never saw where the wrestlers will go down to the ring and like hang out before the show. I never saw that before. Like, what? This? Whoa. You know, before you would just, you know, you'd get to the building and you'd find the locker room and you would sit down and get dressed and take your time and do what you had to do. But I never... I never got into the whole, and then now everybody does that. Now every every little rinky dink independent show, you know, you you get there at, at you know the show might start at seven. You'll get there at five, and the ring will be full of wrestlers just hanging out, and there'll be you know the people that work at the building will be in and out in the concession stands, and everybody like wow, you're just they're just watching us all hang out. What the heck, <laughs> you know? That's that was never. I never got into that you know uh I, sometimes i'd poke my head out to survey the arena or for instance looking at uh where the fans are going to be sitting uh what what the best line of sight would be for people looking in in the building but i never got into the whole uh just hanging out and goofing off in the ring and, and looking silly before the show i i never had any patience for that at all like, I do have a pet peeve this year. Like I notice more fans out there plays with their phones when there's a match going on. I, I, it annoys me. Like, like do it when they're not wrestling, when they're intermission or something. Play with your phone then. Like, I, that's one of my pet peeves right now. Well, that, that's everyday life, though. There's people on their phones, you know, non, you know, they... These these phones they I mean and that's it's a it's a reflection of what's going on in society oh, yeah. you know and there's no uh, we're, we we live in a society where anything we want we can instantly get uh, you know and and that's I I want to I want to read uh, uh, about a soccer team I can push a button on this little thing I carry in my pocket and uh, can read about a soccer team or let's say I want to. I want to buy a, an antique comic book. Okay, push a button. Here comes a comic book. Um, uh, my toaster's broke. I need to buy a new toaster. Bam, push a button. Here comes the toaster in the mail. You don't got to go to the toaster store, talk to the toaster representative or anything like that. <laughs> Here comes a toaster. And I, you can even get a girlfriend. You, I'm in this area, and I, and I, I wish to fornicate. I'm going to push a button on my phone to find someone to come fornicate with me. I guess there's never you don't have to learn to talk to anybody you can just push buttons on your phone and ah i too am interested in fornicating how nice to meet you you know i just don't there's no it's just instant gratification in the second the, the very second your mind wanders well here's this thing in my pocket i can do whatever i want with this i can you know i can, I can look at whatever i want i can say whatever i want to whoever i want uh it's uh it, it's instant gratification. Right. So we're in this age of information now where everything's at, you know, your fingertips. So with that being said, how do you feel about social media online? Do you think that's helping the business? It seems to be helping some wrestlers, hurting some wrestlers. You know, there's a lot of Twitter feuds and things like that going on. Well, I don't think it helps at all. I mean, the only real defense you're going to get from someone who says it is a good thing is because they do it. You, you know, I mean, the you look at these so no no one goes out and hangs up posters anymore. You know, if you weren't if you were not on Facebook, mm-hmm. how would you even know if there was wrestling in your town unless you were like Facebook friends? 
with one of the wrestler wrestling people or the production people or one of them that would uh, distribute information on their social media account, how would you even know about wrestling in your town unless you already knew because you'd be friends with these people and you would already know? You know, it's like you're you're doing all this work to advertise your show to people who already know about it, and you're you're, you're substituting that for advertising to people who legitimately don't know. Yeah. And there is a huge, you know, the majority of people uh, go to work, go to church, go to their movies or their athletic events, and they go home, and that's that. Not everybody's on Facebook or Twitter. You know, the, the people you're going to reach on these mediums, you've already reached. And too many guys fall into the trap of, well, I put this big uh, color photo, a collage of a bunch of undersized shirtless youngsters together. This should bring fans to my promote. You know, is, is, this a, is this a wrestling show or a Nambla convention? What are you trying to advertise here? But, but, but you're not reaching a new, you're not reaching a new, any new audience members with that. You know, I, it used to, used to be at the grocery store or you'd just see it in a bar or a liquor store or a laundromat or something. You'd see the old school multicolored uh, poster live pro wrestling. And I would think after that, who cares? Oh, oh they, the spoiler is going to be there. Oh, great. I did a spoiler or, or, or whatnot. But you, you just see something on your Facebook feed of a bunch of shirtless youngsters. Why would you see that if you weren't already friends with one or more of those shirtless youngsters? <laughs> there's, there's no, there's no, there's no actual promoting going on. We just fall into this trap. Oh, well, I got 78 likes on my collage of shirtless youngsters. We're going to have a sold out crowd. There's no one knows what the hell they're doing. <laughs> Damn. I, I see what you're talking about because sometimes half of the stuff you see on Facebook, you don't see other pro promotions out there. Like I look at Facebook, I don't see half of the stuff they put up because you got no. So um, I didn't find out one show across from Jersey. Didn't know what was going on until like last minute. Somebody posts something and I'm like, oh. We were in Atlantic City the one day and somebody posted about it. And I'm like, oh, cool. There's a show tonight. Yeah, it's only a half hour away. You know? Right. It's like, you well, know, just look back to a time in, in our lifetime, not that far ago, in our short lifetime when, you know, your typical uh, so-called independent show would still have three or four hundred people, mm -hmm. and that that was none of that was on Facebook or Twitter or somebody's phone. None of that was. We didn't have that stuff. So you you think you're increasing your exposure by using social media, but you're not increasing your audience. You, yeah. you might be increasing the information level of people that are already in your circle of contacts. But there, there's a you're, you're, you're just maintaining, you're, you're not increasing or growing anything. You're, you're well, I, if you're subscribed to our Twitter feed or subscribed to our YouTube channel, you'll see this content. Well, who cares? They're going to see it anyway. You're not getting new people. You're, you're just, you're just re re repetitively pitching to the same people over and over again. There, There's a promoter in the New Jersey area named Johnny Falco. And Falco ran this 
company called National Wrestling Superstars out of New Jersey. And whenever it came time for his shows, he was out at the laundromat or at the stores and putting the posters up and everything else. And like you said, you don't see that anymore unless you're on Facebook or Twitter or any other the social media. So it's like, that's kind of missing in wrestling, and I do agree with that. I know one promoter in Jersey still does that. It's Chad. Yeah. He, he, okay. he goes out and, and they do, he does video, too, on Facebook. And but showing, nobody else does it anymore. Nah, nobody does it. It's like, oh, we got a show right here, and we're going to get this many people. And then when we went to that show um, over the right. over there. We knew about it because there was a Facebook feed about it. And there was only five fans, and the rest is family. Right. Yeah, and... and... 20 years ago, if you would go to a wrestling show and there were 25 people there, guess what? They would be running them more shows. <laughs> you know? Right. Oh, I agree. Now, now, now it's like, well, you know, I I got my stimulus check. I'm going to run a wrestling show. I <laughs> got my taxes back. Like, no, you don't even, there's no point to trying to make anything out of it. You're just doing it to amuse yourself. There's no such thing as uh, actual promoters anymore. Right. The guy, the guy who pays the bills isn't supposed to put the matches together. And the guy who puts the matches together isn't supposed to rent the building. It's not the whole formula of what was so successful for so many years has been destroyed by you know social media. I guess will be one of their major culprits for that. And and now you have more guys. You know, and guys were wrestling. You were a wrestler, and that was your job. Not well. I'm a wrestler, but. I also do, you know, I, I, I work at SeaWorld or I'm a wrestler and I also deliver pizzas or I'm a wrestler, but I also uh, work at the hospital. Like if I, I just, it boggles the mind how we've gotten so far away from a formula that was wildly successful, but we thought we could do it better. And all we do is make it progressively worse. Like recently, I, I was talking to some of the sh- um, promoters that are putting shows together. It's like, hey, let us let us put an ad together and put it on our podcast, and and you guys push our podcast for us, and maybe that will help out help out bringing people in and see what the hell that works out. And I hope we help out in this new media world. You know what I mean? Right. To push other companies. Okay. Um, since um the whole like baseball stuff. So you're a baseball fan. It looks like who's your uh, team? Huge, huge. Who's your team? Well, I mean, I read a study that uh, it was this was about uh, Korean baseball fans, <laughs> and it said. Uh, the average, well, it was a Korean newspaper, but they said the average baseball fan uh, will, will switch allegiances every seven years <laughs> in, in Korea. So I thought that was cool. Is that uh, is like marriage? You know, they say marriages, most marriages break up after seven years. Is that uh, how it is? And I think we all go through, uh, we all go through phases with uh, both in relationships and with our, our sports franchises. And oftentimes the, the sports franchises will last longer than their relationships. You know, I'll, I'll look back at the day, you know, uh, I was a Rays fan for years and years and years. And I just really, it was so frustrating, you know, like they would never sign any relief pitcher to more than a one-year deal. So you got a whole new bullpen every year, you know, and they get so crossed up with the Sabermetrics and the ownership trying to save money and they didn't 
you know, it just be, just like an abusive relationship, you know, with 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 a, with a woman. I I just had to, I just had to, I just had to leave the, the devil rays. I and then it, well, they were the rays. I I had to, I had to get away. I had to get a fresh start. So now I've uh, I'm, I'm I'm in love with the Cardinals now after uh, after a long. Uh, 10, 12 year relationship with the Rays. I just couldn't, uh, I just couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> I had to, I wasn't, the, the magic was gone. It is zero. You know, they, they went to the World Series in 08. You know, obviously I was, I'm thinking it might have been 08. I'm, I'm not sure. Whenever they, they lost to the Phillies, you know, that was, thank you. That was, a big, that was a big deal for me. Thank, but, uh, thank you for that win. We were happy. <laughs> I, I, I apologize in advance, but, I am a security guard for the Philadelphia Phillies as well. <laughs> you know, and, and but then like this this past season when the Rays went to play the Dodgers, I didn't care, and I said I and I thought to myself, well, I guess it really is over. <laughs> I guess I don't love the Rays anymore. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of wanted. I was just indifferent towards both teams this year, but then you know, and just like a relationship with the girl, I my my years with the Rays, I had moments of self-doubt and then something would come along and reignite the passion you know <laughs> i could get back behind the rays and i might have like a, a little two or three month season or may, even a year-long affair with maybe the rockies or somebody but then i'd go back to the rays and <laughs> it, it, it's finally over i'm done with the devil rays and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm with the one with the Cardinals now. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. they just they just that represent everything that's right about baseball. You know, they actually you know you can't look. They're always in the World Series every few years. Yeah, you know they're they're always signing big free agents. They're always making trades. They're always trying to stay competitive. And you know everybody you know my age and older would always knock on old George Steinbrenner, but let's be honest, you, that's the guy you want running your team. I want a guy running my team that wants to win, not, yeah. not just trying to make money for the investors. Or trying, you know, I wanted a team that was to win, and then uh, and I think the Cardinals are the uh, well, the Cardinals and the Yankees. I mean, those are your no one's won uh, more World Series than the Yankees, and the, the Cardinals are second. But I want to I want to give my love to someone who loves me back. I didn't think the Devil Rays were loving me back, and then it took me a while to figure that out. <laughs> Being a Phillies fan back in when they won in '80, I was just a little kid, you know what I mean, like little baby. I didn't know what was going on. So going to '08 and going to the parade, seeing all that stuff, I fell in love with baseball all over oh, yeah. again, and seeing them winning. And Philly fans are horrible. I, I will admit that the most hardcore fans in the country. But they start they started a fight at the parade. And I'm like, what is wrong? Because somebody stepped on somebody's foot. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm done going to parades. I'm not going to go to the Eagles parade. When they win the um, Super Bowl and some idiot eats dog shit or horses shit. I was like, dude, that's disgusting. I mean, people are drunk at all these parades and stuff and stupid things happen. I feel like this is anywhere you go. But you're at these parades, so it says a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Like, the only only team I want to see win something Flyers. the Flyers, and I'll be happy for the rest of my life seeing the Flyers. What's win. going on with that mascot, though? <laughs> what is what is it? It's a Muppet. <laughs> it's it, gritty. Okay, <laughs> to me, Gritty looks like an old Philly fanatic outfit where they cut the nose off and they put something in the middle there, and then they dyed him orange. 
And googly eyes. Right, and googly eyes. <laughs> I, I really like, don't know what it is. I, I thought he was like animal's cousin from different marriages from the Muppets. The Ill- illegitimacy yeah. mascot? Like, he's like um that character from Harry Potter, um, Hagrid. Like, the weird the weird uh, guy chilling in the background. I don't know. I don't know. The mascot's <laughs> just overshadowing the team now. The last couple of weeks, the Flyers have been playing terrible hockey. Mm-hmm. They were contenders at the beginning of the season, but they're not looking like one right now. But no. All I'm saying is April 1st couldn't get here in enough time. But I no. want to stay with baseball because, so like, I love my Phillies, but I do like players. You know what I mean? I will yeah. for t- certain players. I was a big Ryan Sandberg fan, but I wouldn't wear a Cubs hat, but I was a big Ryan Sandberg fan. I was a huge Pete Rose guy before everything. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Right. Pete Rose is awesome. Right. One of the best baseball players. Yeah. He was Mr. Hustle. Yeah, I mean, I like, I'm more of a second baseman. I like Craig Biggio. Remember him? Yeah, I remember him. Oh, yeah. 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 He started out as a catcher. He was a catcher when he came up. Yes, and yes, yes. Second base. And then yep. he went to second base, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he went to center field, I think, after that. Yes, I think that was near the end of his career, yeah. yeah he ended up a second base. I think he doesn't, uh, now, doesn't he have a kid in the big leagues now? Yes, he does. Yeah. Oh. He does. Uh, in Toronto. Uh-huh. He's on Toronto? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, That's when you know you're old as you, the players that are playing now, you remember getting their dad's rookie card. <laughs> the hell with his rookie card. I used to have his dad's rookie card, you know. <laughs> it's you know, like the... it's like pro wrestling. Um, Brian um, Pillman Jr.'s son is now wrestling. You know what I mean? He's been around. Uh, he's for a really years. nice guy too, man. He's a really, really level-headed uh, Yes. Humble, nice kid. He really is. Yes, he is. He talked to me for a while at all Pro Wrestling Magic. And I mean, going back to baseball, I still prefer Brad Miller, but that's me. Brad Miller. Oh, the, the utility guy. Yeah. yeah. Brad what Miller is, he is now. He was at the Rays for a little. He was with the Rays for a little while. Where, where's he at now? Phillies. Phillies. He's with my guys. Oh, okay. Didn't, didn't he like come out of nowhere like thirty home runs a couple yes. years ago? <laughs> um, but he went from utility to second baseman, and he's doing pretty good on second base. Oh. Everyone needs a home. Right. <laughs> Oh, everybody does. You know what I mean? The only thing that I have a problem with Phillies is the release pitching. So I don't know. Hector Neris is pretty good. We'll see. Oh, That's yeah, about it. yeah. <laughs> is he the is he the closer yet? He's the closer. Yeah, he will be. Yeah. But my I, whole I thing got is... a, I got a really good story about Hector Neris. Hang on. So oh. I, I do security down on the field for them, right? So I'm walking. I'm doing my whole thing, getting ready, and I walk by Hector, throw the ball back, and I mean, he's like. Finally, nice to actually say hi to you because I see you on the dugout all the time. I'm like, yeah, you know, and pounds me. He says, see you up there. I'm like, all right, cool, see you. So it's kind of cool to interact with the players, kind of like it is with cool to interact with the wrestlers. Oh, like me? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I was, uh, I've worked in baseball. This will be, uh, this my f- I've only worked in baseball for four years now, but I did uh, grounds crew for a Reds farm team for oh, a couple cool. years. And then I got started getting sick, mm-hmm. and they switched me to uh, uh, scanning tickets and greeting people and stuff like that. And that got to be too much. And then uh, two years ago, going into last season, 
I had to uh, quit my job, and little did I know they canceled their season a couple weeks after that anyway, so I quit a job that wouldn't, wasn't even going to be around, but I guess they're going to play this year. I was out in Dayton, and I, like I, that's what I knew. I've been having trouble for a, uh, a couple, a long time, a long time. I was having trouble breathing, stuff like that, and uh, it tur- turns out I had cancer, <laughs> but, but I was in denial for a long time about it, and I... You know, the ground screw would just tear me up. There'd be times, you know, during the, the I'd be so tired. You know, the, the ground screw has to have their work done by the national anthem. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's where you have to be done. If you, when the national, when the national anthem starts, you better be done. So then there'd be times in the national anthem and I just want to fall over. I'd be having a hard time breathing. I would just, it, it, I had like a resentment was growing towards national anthem because I was in so much pain and discomfort to <laughs> stand still for it. That was the beginning of, you know, something going wrong inside of me. But it looks like that's all over with now, I guess. You know, we'll see. Yeah, man. Our wishes and everything, everything goes great. You know what I mean? It, it's really hard to, I mean, I remember all the way all this went down and still is going down. And the, the word crazy isn't crazy enough. You know, like I said, I was having a hard time catching my breath. You know, uh, I was having a hard time standing up, and it, it got to be really, really bad. I mean, it, it got to be the point where I couldn't walk more than a few feet. Yeah. I was bedridden. I was down to 160, 160 pounds. You know, a, a friend of mine, you know, talked about uh, going to Graceland. So we went to Graceland, and he had to push me around in a wheelchair the whole time because I couldn't stand up. And then, then it made it worse. Like the whole time this was going on, people were just saying all kind of horrible things about me. I would, you know, I was smoking meth and I had AIDS and just all this horrible, horrible stuff people were saying. That didn't make matters any better. And then uh, finally, I, I just, uh, I don't know, I was hanging out with a couple of my kids. And I thought, wait a minute, maybe I'll just, maybe we'll just see, let's see what we can do. You know, so we started going to see this doctor and that doctor, and they were taking this test and this surgery and that surgery, and they were cutting things out of my neck and cutting things out of my chest. And and then I guess it was in July, they finally told me, uh, stage three Hodgkin's lymphoma. Now, I'm, I'm no... Uh, the, the, now, I've learned a little bit about it since then, and, and basically the difference is between Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's mm-hmm. is the Hodgkin's lymphoma, there is a certain kind of DNA in the proteins of the cancer. That's what makes it a Hodgkin's or non-Hodgkin's. Mm-hmm. But in layman's terms, typically speaking, it, they first diagnose it in your chest. It's Hodgkin's. And if they first diagnose it somewhere other than your chest, it's typically the non-Hodgkin's. So we finally got a diagnosis. You know, and I went through uh, went through a hard time. I think we did uh, five rounds. Five, I think five rounds of chemo, you know, a few operations here and there on the way too. And then uh, I guess it was about the end of this past uh, August, beginning of August or so, somewhere along that time frame, I just started getting better. And I just started getting better and I kept getting better. And I'm still getting better today. And 
and uh, I'm laying there in bed, you know, I couldn't stay awake for more than maybe a, a couple hours at a time. I'd fall back asleep. Uh, walking down the hallway to empty my bladder was a major undertaking. Uh, sometimes I'd have to use a walker to go down the hall to urinate. Like, uh, I was losing my vision. Like, it was, I was on my way out the door. It was really, <laughs> I just lay there and think, how worse, how much worse is it going to get? How much worse is this going to get before it's finally going to be over? And it just kept getting worse. <laughs> it, wow. it kept getting worse and worse. And then but all, it, all of a sudden, it just, it, all of a sudden, it just, uh, it just started getting better. I just started responding well to my treatments. And I was in bed and I thought to myself, you know, what What am I going to do with this second chance at life I got? You know, I don't, do I just want to go back to being some kind of wrestler guy and travel the world and drinking and stuff? Do I want to go back and do that again? That, that'd be a waste if I, oh, I did that before and I had nothing to show for it except for, you know, crazy drunken memories and whatnot and friendships. But how am I really making a difference in anybody's life? And I thought, well, I want to do something. You know, what can I do? I didn't go to college. I don't have a trade school background. What can I really do that's going to make a difference? And like, Let's be honest. What's going on in this world right now, bigger than the biggest thing in the world, is this damn coronavirus mess we're in. And uh, what's ground zero of the coronavirus? It's nursing homes. And I said to myself, oh, my God, this is it. This is what I have to do. I have to go to the nursing homes. I, I have to go there. And now that I have to walk, I'm not. I'm not going to look for uh, how can I get going disability for cancer. How can I get a free house? How can I get free food? How can I get free money? What can I do? I'm going to get my ass up out of this bed and I'm going to go to the nursing homes and just do whatever do whatever I can, you know. And that and that's what I'm doing now. Like I said, I'm walking. <laughs> I walk. I applied to a few nursing homes, and the one that took me in was Pennsylvania, you know, uh, where I had, they're having the, all the troubles out here. Well, you guys are too, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania. We had the horrible decision by our governors to take the coronavirus positive people and put them in nursing homes so as to not overload the hospitals, which I don't think a junior high school kid would have thought this was a good idea to do that. You know, if you, if you were a supervillain, trying to kill people with coronavirus, what would you do? You know, you expose them to the most the weakest members of our society to drive up those death numbers. Yeah. And that's what they did. You know, how many, you know, 15,000 dead in New York, how many thousands in New Jersey and Pennsylvania from the Too horrible, many. stupid, stupid decision to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's where, that's where I said I have to go. You know, and I'm, I'm walking, I was walking two miles to work to get there. And when I started, I was still in chemotherapy and my chemotherapy was taking my white blood cell count way closer to zero percent than one. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, and I'm, I'm holding hands with corona people, holding straws in their mouth, praying with them, hugging them, just trying to treat them like a person. Yeah. And I watched, and not just treat them like a person, but treat them like a person and show them some love and some dignity. 
and I watched I watched a lot of them fall, but I never did, and I didn't get the coronavirus, and I the doctor said they're taking me off the chemo, and now now all I have is a, a, a port in my chest, like underneath the skin. Yeah. But uh, we're talking about maybe getting that out this summer. Oh, that's you know, awesome. I guess I guess I, I guess when you're older, they like to leave them in yeah. for a little while. But I'm, I've been complaining, like, get this thing out of me. <laughs> I want to get this part of my life over with, and. Yeah, I lost my mom from cancer back in... Lost my cancer. dad and my mom. And everything you're saying, I, I totally understand, like, the whole chemo thing. Like, And um, and it's worse. I mean, not that there's any kind of worse degrees of cancer, but I think about it, and, you know, like, I went through all the stuff I did, and the people are doing it right now. As we speak, there's people going through it. But during this corona mess, you know, you can't have a get visitor in there with you. You got to go through it all alone. Yeah. Uh, and then, and I'm not trying to make a bigger deal that I did anything by doing that. But look how it is now because I, I was I was sharing a struggle with so many people going through the same struggle, yeah. the same struggle that so many people have went through, so many people are going through, and so many people are going to go through. But it's just it's so much harder when you're when you're alone through all this and i mean i i've been watching and following everything else and i kind of I, I geeked out when i saw you were commentating and stuff like that then you got back in the ring and i'm like that is so awesome that everything that you went through with the cancer and everything else and then getting back in the ring that's just awesome well i was assigned to this mountain to show others that it can indeed be moved. Like I said, you just got to believe in yourself. Oh, yeah. So, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is David Kinner from the 2300 Wrestling Podcast, letting you know about photographer, camera, editor, and designer extraordinaire, Brian Schweiker. Please give him a call at 856-254-7546 for any of your photography needs. You can also reach him at bschweiker13 at gmail.com Facebook and everything else is there as well. Get them for all your party, wrestling, movies whatever you want to do. That's Brian Schweiker. Check him out. Yeah! We live it together and when we die together. The key to all of our happiness is the more together we can become. Not separate and well, I'm I'm gonna hate these people that don't look like me, or I'm gonna hate the people that do wear a mask, or hate the people that don't wear a mask, or hate the people that vote for this guy, or hate the people that vote for that guy. It's all about uh, being together, and the more together we are, the better off we're all gonna be. I agree with you. So we're um working in the um as our team as our um show is called the twenty three hundred. Um, we are named after the ECW arena. Can you give us a ECW arena story? Well, it, yeah, I haven't been there in a while, but it uh, it used to be really dirty. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It used to be, <laughs> you know, there was there was always there was always you know like a half inch of standing water (laughs) and then before you got there like we just got here like the toilets aren't clogged up yet how is there water on the floor now (laughs) it'd be so gross but uh, you know you just think of the so many you know I, i i was watching eastern championship wrestling you know before i was a wrestler or while i was training so it was a it was a huge, huge deal. I think my first match there was with uh, it was me and Toby versus Mondo and Weissbier. I think was one of my first, you know, and it was a 
just a huge, huge personal milestone to compete there. And then I was fortunate enough to compete there an awful lot, you know, and then, and, uh, there was a, a, that little dive bar, uh, Nichols was right right down the road. You know, I used to go to that, you know, I'd be the only wrestler there. It it was awesome. There (laughs) maybe, you know, the, they had uh, a really hot middle-aged waitress who would sell me 40s and I could sit there at the bar and drink 40s and I think they had a golden tea golf machine, I think, when I was playing and drinking 40s. It was huge. But then, you know, then so many wrestlers started going to Nichols, and then so many fans started going to Nichols, and it just became not fun, you know. Well, in the, in the Oregon that. Diner, too. Nichols and the Nichols and the Oregon Diner. Those were <laughs> the little hanging spots down there. Oh, yeah. I'm a diner guy. I always go to diners at the shows. And, and you see all these wrestling fans go there, and you're like, oh, come on. Stop following us. Everything's changed. Yeah. Ready for the next question? Sure. Oh, the go. Fire away. Fire away. Okay. I, his eyes ramble a lot. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's okay. Um, no, that's fine. DB rambles a lot, too, so you're okay. Oh, thank you. At least you noticed. Right. Oh. Well, well while Keener <laughs> thinks of a question, I've got one for you. Okay. It's uh, so many years in the business and traveling and everything. Do you have any good road stories to tell us? That's a good one. Well, I mean, uh, narrow it down for me a little bit more. If you could be more specific, I mean, you're you're asking me to remember, you know, a lot. <laughs> Just of... like uh, traveling with other wrestlers, going from event to event. Is there anything kind of sticks out to you? Any good stories? You know, Sign Guy told us a story about um him and D'Lo Brown and um was it um Jack's victory? Jack yeah. victory. They were driving down the road and like finding out that Devon is scared of snakes. So Sign Guy went and found a snake, toy snake, and, and started like um, telling um, Devon, there's, when we're going down south, there's snakes in the walls. Snakes everywhere. And Devon was scared of hell, and they, he asked him to be on a, a different floor. And they did say this story on the WWE Network, but it's so funny in that we got the Sign Guy version. You know what I mean? We got yeah, the real version. Yeah. And then, like... um. Devon went to the bed, bed, take a shower or something. He puts the snake in the, the screen door, and he opens up. He jumps and all that stuff. So any fun ribbing kind of road stories that you can tell us? If uh, it- well, I will. I don't know. There's a time in, uh, in Tokyo where my second tour, I think, was... Uh, for, they asked me because the most you could stay for the uh, was 90 days. So I stayed nine. My second tour of Japan was 90 days, and there was uh, another kid. You know, I was I was you know doing higher profile matches and making a little bit more money. But there was uh, a kid over there. Uh, he was from Texas. Uh, he turned out pretty good as a uh, Mormon kid named Masada. But he was just a kid back then, you know. And uh, we, we used to go down. To, we used to go down to the uh, to the river, to the river by the, by the train station. You know, we didn't do too much socializing there at the dojo because we were we were living at the dojo. So we used to go down by the river and just drink. And uh, once it was it was a tall bridge that went over over the river. We'd go under the bridge to to sit and drink. And uh, there was uh, it had rained a good bit. You know, there had been some flooding, and a couch had uh, washed its washed its uh, way up up against the support beams of the bridge. So we thought, oh, let's just uh, swim out there and 
sit on that bridge in a big pile of brush and the couch and sit swim out there that couch and sit there and drink and we did we, we swam out we stripped down jumped in the river and swam out there that uh, couch and sat there on the couch while the all the tokyo businessmen and businesswomen and school kids or whatnot are walking over the bridge looking at these two dumbass uh, drunks foreigners down in the water on a couch <laughs> uh, uh, a couple uh, maybe a few days before that we had uh, we were just walking and talking and drinking uh with a couple girls and i had i had you know uh i'd leaned up against the guardrail up against the bridge and uh, the guardrail broke and i didn't fall i didn't i didn't fall in the water but i stumbled stumbled around a little bit and then in order to uh I was embarrassed, you know, because the girls saw me stumble. So I ripped, I ripped the rest of the guardrail off, and I threw the piece of guardrail out into the water. And we're we're sitting there drinking on that couch in the middle of the river. And I said, I bet you a hundred dollars says you can't find that piece of guardrail I threw out here. You know, we're pretty drunk, and it was pretty deep water, deep muddy water. You couldn't see the bottom, even if you was in a foot of it, you couldn't see the bottom bunch of flood water and he said i bet i can and i said all right i'm gonna make a hundred dollars says this mormon can't find that piece of guardrail i chucked out here last week <laughs> you know and uh and he went down he went down in the water like you know you couldn't see him <laughs> he was it'd come up a couple times and i'd say you ready to quit yet he said no <laughs> he'd go underwater again and then after about uh about 20 minutes, I think, about 20 minutes, him going down and coming up, going down and coming up. That son of a bitch found that piece of guardrail. <laughs> it was like an eight-foot-long eight foot long piece of guardrail. He drug it up out of the water to show me he found it, and uh, he, he got his $100 from me that night, but he got so sick from swimming around in that damn Japanese shit creek. You know, yeah, he missed two matches, not one, but two matches. He because he got so sick, just runny nose, puking, diarrhea, the whole nine yards. You know, we didn't want to tell anybody that he was swimming in the river, you know, <laughs> so it had to be, it had to, we had to kind of keep it a secret on why he was sick, you know, so they're trying to worry about, well, what did he eat? What did you eat? Did you guys eat the same thing? And I, I just kept quiet. Like, no, nah, he was swimming around the river, but, you know, I just, didn't say that. Wow. Yeah. He got his $100, though. He got his $100. Hey, I want you to swim in that, that the river. F that. All right, you want well, to do that one? one? Yeah, it wasn't just swimming in the river, because it was they had to, to find a piece of guardrail that I towed out there mm-hmm. a while before. That was the whole crux of the $100. Oh, yeah. Because we, we had swam out there, but we stayed on the surface of the water. You know, we, we stayed on the surface of the water. We didn't. You know, go underneath the water. You know, he had to go all the way down to the bottom to get that piece of guardrail. By God, he did. Okay, so I am a big fan of uh, this this thing we just started doing this year. We 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 like to play games too. So yeah, we like to play games. Um, We want to be different than other podcasts out there. So we have a game called Five Questions of Doom. So everything in these questions are non-related to wrestling. So, but it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. We'll see what you like and have some fun with it. You're down? It's your podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hope it is. Gosh. Nobody took it from me yet. <laughs> Not yet. So um, Dave likes to do our little 
intro for this because he's a um haunted guy you know uh, i i do voiceover so as yeah, well yeah he's a, he works for bates motel he wants to say that you know mm. I'm, I'm waiting for him to pay me for um uh, i'll give you a quarter for every every time you say it bates motel yeah okay cool nice yeah. <laughs> okay ready do your little thing ladies and gentlemen it is now time for the five questions of doom Good job, George. You didn't do your job. <laughs> okay, for number one. Question number one. Favorite word to say. Favorite word to say. I cuss a lot. <laughs> we all do. So, I probably have to say the F word is my favorite word to say. <laughs> you can say it if you want. Yeah, we don't it, fucking it care. Can be, it can be used in so many different contexts. Exactly. Like, there's so like much perfect. emotion with that part. It's like, yeah. fuck. You're, you're happy. Uh, you're tired. You can say it because you're excited, uh, uh, because you're scared, because you're happy. Right. Like, any range of the human emotion, that word can easily be used to convey those emotions. And uh, whoever hears you can instantly identify with what you're going through by your tone in saying that word. It, it's very understandable to, to, other, to, every, to other people as well. It, it, it makes it so beautiful. Oh, yeah. Question number two. Okay. Um, uh, here we go. Favorite snack food? Favorite snack food? Well, lately I've been... Uh, well, I've been uh, snacking around on these uh, their, their, uh, energy bars... Made out of uh, crickets. Really? <laughs> yeah. What's it called? Are they, uh, well, let's get the damn rapper out here. <laughs> it clearly says crickets in the title. EXO. EXO Cricket. EXO. EXO Cricket Energy Bars. I don't, I don't like to eat uh, breakfast because I don't like to use the same toilets that other people use. I like to have my own toilet. So I don't like to eat breakfast because I'm afraid I'll have to shit at work. So I, I just, That's amazing. I, I just drink coffee and I eat a really, really light breakfast. So I've been eating these uh, cricket bars every day before work, you know, because they have all the all the stuff you need in here, and there's a bunch of uh, nutritional information here that I've never entirely skimmed through. But, yeah, I've been doing the coffee and crickets for breakfast. That's what I do <laughs> every morning. Every That's morning. one hell of a breakfast. Yeah, coffee and crickets, brother. So here's here's... This is a hard one. Number three. My gosh. Um, Roadrunner Roadrunner or Wiley Coyote? Well, I like to consider myself somewhat of a super genius who also does entirely too much shopping online. The thing about that, he wasn't online. He was using the catalog. Yes, yes. Back then, yeah. But, I mean, he spent so much damn money on the catalog. And that's another thing. Where was was, – did he have, like, a big line of credit? (laughs) <laughs> Maybe he did. I don't know. Like, where did he put the money? How did he make money? He might have been a trust fund coyote. Trust fund coyote? Yeah, his parents, and that maybe that's why he was so hell-bent on catching the Roadrunner, because he came from such a long line of successful coyotes that he really couldn't afford to let this damn supersonic running Roadrunner go. He had to catch him because, you know, the, the pressure from his grandfather and coyotes 
before him were that's that's one thing I can imagine they were very successful coyotes. Oh, think of how think of all the I mean I I'm quite uncertain he wasn't paying for like these rockets and giant slingshots and whatnot, but think if he was actually spending his financial assets to uh, the capture or extermination or what have you of this roadrunner. I mean, it has to be up there. Like, think about all the money over the years that Paul Jones spent to get Jimmy Vane out of wrestling. They never did. You know, all those years, you know, all these guys he'd bring in, you know, any kind of, anybody he brought in was to get rid of Jimmy Valiant. And I guess that's a pretty good comparison. I mean, sure, they cut his hair. Sure, they cut his beard. Sure, he got his his friends would turn on him, but uh, he never really got, he never got Jimmy Valiant out of wrestling. And then he, uh, let's be honest, Paul Jones is now dead. Jimmy Valiant still alive. So, you know, Jimmy Valiant won that feud. Yeah. I, would, I, would compare, I would compare Paul Jones with Wiley Coyote. I'm down with that. Number four. Number four. Here we go. Favorite comedian. Favorite comedian. Hmm. Well, I don't really get into comedy too much anymore, but I'll say Steve Martin. Okay. Steve. okay. Yeah. You ever listen to his band? Oh, like the banjo? Yeah. He plays the banjo. Yeah, it's really good. So he's married to Edie Burkell, and him and Edie Burkell, yeah, him and Edie Burkell have a folk band. That well, makes sense. Yeah. I love it. Makes sense. I love that. Well, but you know, what other kind of music did Edie Brickell successfully perform? Well, yeah, she just had the the one song with her in the New Bohemian. Yeah. So that's one, 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 one. Right, one song. <laughs> Number five. What superpower would you want? Well, you mean the ones as in the ones I don't already have? <laughs> yes, uh, yes, that, yeah. Oh, well, oh, okay. <laughs> so I won't need the Wolverine healing powers. I already have them. Don't need the super intelligence. Got that. <laughs> uh, hmm. It's a tough one. Well, there's so many. Uh, I want to. I want to. I want to try to answer this question as honestly as I can. But then, uh, but if, if we look at superpowers, like what what was Batman's superpower? Money. Yeah. That that's all. So if, 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 if his power was he's rich, he, he can he's... afford the get. He can afford the gadgets. You know, he he can afford the, the kung fu lessons and whatnot to become a strong fighter. He he has money, so he doesn't have to work. So he can uh, he's therefore viewed as attractive by all these young Gotham City socialite females who view him as the catch of of, of the Gotham City. So I guess wealth. Yeah, I'll take wealth as my because I could I could really do some good with that wealth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll work. He did say that um in the Justice League um movie. The, um, I think Flash goes, "What's your superpowers?" He's like, "I'm rich." Yeah. Why not? And that's 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 what you know. We you know you see all this hatred in today's society towards billionaires. Well, I hate Elon Musk because he's this, or I hate Jeff Bezos because he's that. The biggest reason to hate these guys is because they're not Batman. They they could be, but they're not. That's why you hate them. Trying to figure out how to pose this question. So I'm a huge like horror fan. So I have like memorabilia of horror and all that stuff, autographs. Like I got John Carpenter's autograph on a big day live poster. Um, You got any memorabilia? Uh, Well, I'm the big. Sports, I'm a big baseball junkie. I mean, I collect, uh, I have well, 40 or 50 bobbleheads with me here in the same room I'm in. 
uh, a bunch of baseball cards. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, fifteen, micro forty-two minor league baseball hats in the same room I'm in right now. Uh, bobbleheads, baseball caps, uh, starting lineup figures. I have a bunch of those. Baseball cards. Working on a uh, nineteen sixty-nine set right now. Baseball cards. Uh, eBay helps out a lot. Yeah. Who were rookies in 1969? Well, the the <laughs> big the big well, it's not only was the 69. There's 30 some Hall of Famers in the 69 set. That wow. it's it's uh, kind of uh, it's Mickey Mantle's last card hmm. and Reggie Jackson's first card. That they're in they're in the same that's the same 69. But like uh, it's Johnny Bench's second year card. Uh, Nolan Ryan, second year card. Um, Raleigh Rale Fingers, rookie card. Uh, of course, you know, Willie Mays, uh, Willie McCovey, Hank Aaron, all the big names are, are in that set. But the, the big one, the, the, the Mantle and the Jackson, the Ryan, the, the bench. Uh, Pete Rose is his second or third card, I think, is 69. That's not, I think it's third year for Pete Rose, I think. I'm not sure. I know he's on the batting title because <laughs> I, I don't have that one. I don't have the damn uh, the uh, National League batting title leaders. It's more of the it's card number either two or number nine because I have them all on an album. <laughs> so yeah, I yeah. just glanced through it like a book. Yeah, What's the most expensive card you have? Uh, probably the Jackson. Like my my Mickey Mantle looks good. But it had. We're talking about the '69. The '69s here. My my '69 mantle looks good, but it has a gum stain on the back. Mm. But uh, my Reggie Jackson is. I mean, it's not mint, but I'd say it's near mint. You know, I, I'd say the 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 mantle is near mint until you look at the back. <laughs> There's a big stain <laughs> on the back of it. I don't know what. I mean, I don't know what happened well, to my baseball cards. It's like one no day, one boom, they're gone. Yeah, no one does. Yeah. <laughs> I have I, I have them. I have some people like me end up with them. <laughs> you stole them, nah? nah In, I think, indirectly, like I noticed, like all my GI Joes, my He-Man, my Thundercats, and, um, all them toys are gone too. I think my mom just threw everything out. Like, She's oh, like, he's too old for them. I'm throwing them out. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Not knowing how today's world is like if i still had the millennium falcon toy in the box from 1977 i would have been good oh yeah i had uh i had all that stuff <laughs> and remember like the little like the, the the little green monster thing that came with a death star no i don't remember the, that oh yeah it was like the it was it had fins yeah the, the death star but the death star came with these plastic these chunks of um styrofoam okay Remember in the movie where they got in the trash compactor? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, well, in the toy that came with uh, the Death Star playset came with chunks of multicolored styrofoam. <laughs> the, and there's a little a crank where you could compress the walls and everything. Yeah, and there was like a green, little green plastic monster that came with it. He was about the size of one of the action figures. I was big into Star Wars and... G.I. Joe. I mean, I ran a very lucrative, financially successful G.I. Joe Wrestling Federation for many years <laughs> as a young man. Many, many years. I had I had uh, 
uh, most normal kids, you know, you'll read about where they made mixtapes of, uh, you know, in, in their cassette recorder. I would make cassettes with the entrance musics from a various G.I. Joe Wrestling Federation superstars. <laughs> well, well, I knew how long to push rewind for so-and-so's music, how long, how long to, when, to, when to key the music for the, the various. And then uh, it even became uh, out of control because some, like, well, I got my brother into it. We got a couple of kids down the street. We got, we got, oh, you look up the trash monster? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to show them. Yeah, he came with he came with the Death Star. Well, I found the Death Star online for one hundred and seventy nine dollars. I also found the original Millennium Falcon for four hundred dollars. Yeah, so. And with, with with that GI Joe stuff, and then we would get uh, big sheets of uh, big sheets of a freezer paper. We'd draw like tournament brackets and have titles and stuff like that. And then, uh, do you remember? There's a Japanese anime. For uh, uh, wrestling, uh, Kaneku Man, you've seen yes. that, haven't you? Well, that was released a long time ago in, in here over in America. It was called Muscle. Oh, Millions, yes. yeah, millions of unusual small creatures lurking everywhere is what it, the Muscle stood for back then. And they put out a ring, and uh, the Muscle ring was inside of a championship belt. Oh. Like there was a little snap. Yeah. Yeah. You, you fought, you fought inside the championship belt was, was the, where the ring was, where the, where the muscles wrestlers would compete. So then we'd have these big tournaments on the wax, on the freezer paper with our GI Joe. And they didn't have to be exclusively GI Joe figures, but they had to be of relative size to the GI Joe. Like obviously like the AWA or LJN figures, could not compete against a G.I. Joe-sized action figure. That would just look silly, so you couldn't do that. <laughs> and then the, whoever, whoever's, whoever's figure would win this big tournament then would take home that muscle belt. Okay. Whichever, wh- whatever one of the neighborhood kids, whoever's figure won this tournament, that kid would take my, my damn belt. I paid for the damn belt. My grandmother probably did. But they would take that muscle, muscle belt home. That was their belt because their action figure had won the G.I. Joe Wrestling Figure Out Federation hmm. tournament that we funny, would have. The funny thing is, I still have one of these in my house. It's upstairs. And it's the muscle still, belt? It's still in the package. Yeah, but the, you, you, now, nowadays, you go to a wrestling show, and you'll see 100, 200 people carrying belts. Yeah. But back then, you, back then, the only way to get a belt was to be a champion of wrestling, which, God, who could do that? Nowadays, right. I guess you can. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I bought a belt. I bought the only belt I want, and everybody's like, oh, you buy the WWE belt? I'm like, no, I bought the original NWA belt. I bought the 10,000 oh, gold. Yeah, Harley Race had that. Harley right. Race belt. There's yeah. so much more heritage and history with that belt. If I'm going to buy belts, I'm going old school because I prefer that type of wrestling better. I mean, back, back when wrestlers were respected and made money, you mean then? <laughs> right. Like, I, I will watch, like, you were talking about Mid-South and Down there and everything else. One of my favorite commentators ever is Lance Russell. And everybody looks at me like, who's Lance Russell? And I'm like, I'm only 42, but I know who Corey Macklin and Lance Russell were back then. And I... But still watch them to today. Uh, did you? Did you? How about when? Uh, did you watch the clip where like the Dream Machine snatched him up? He goes. He looked genuinely perturbed. They were there playing like a uh, alley oop music video about the Dream Machine, and uh, Lance Russell was laughing about it. Like the Dream Machine came out and snatched him up, and 
you, you may seem like they probably didn't tell Vance Russell this was going to happen. I think maybe 80, <laughs> 81, I think 81, 82. I used to watch, like I said, I used to be a big fan. I watched all that stuff, you know. Yeah, I'll have to go back and watch it. Oh, yeah, that was when, uh, before before the Honky Tonk Man, he was a pre boy Wayne Ferris, you know, back back in those days. I'm still stuck on his G.I. Joe wrestling league. Like, oh, Gunhead well, versus yeah. Shivrak. Now we use the, now we, I'd give, most of them would give, usually I'd give them different names, but oh, sometimes okay. kind of similar, but kind of similar, kind of similar. Okay. And then now the best ring, we, now we did use the, uh, for a while, I used the AWA Rimco ring. Okay. Because because it was it was wood, it was very sturdy. But those the dim uh, the turnbuckles were also wood, or the ring posts. The ring posts were wood. So oftentimes, you know, you'd trip or stumble, you'd uh, you'd break the damn ring posts because it was. And then you had then then you couldn't you, know, the, you couldn't fix it. Buy it, buy a new ring, buy buy a new one. <laughs> Pardon me, but then like WWF put out one uh, for their bendies yeah. that was a little better. But uh, but the AWA Rimco ring was was a hell of a ring. That was also the AWA Rimco figures was you could use the uh, Crayola uh, water markers, you know, so they could bust it open. Then you just rinse it off. You know, <laughs> those figures showed off the the watercolors of the blood <laughs> so well. <laughs> the, 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 the Rimco figures. And the GI Joe figures, those were separate federations. You know, they didn't. I like alternate universes. Alternate universes. <laughs> I love that. That's so awesome. I remember when I watched back in '86, like the Transformers movie, and like I'm like seeing Optimus Prime die, and I'm like, this is awesome. I never seen anything like this. Seeing cartoons killing off characters. So I started killing off my G.I. Joe and um, Transformers and burying them in the backyard. And my neighbor next door found like one of the Transformers. He's like, is this yours? I'm like, yep, it is. And I ran inside. I was like, yep, I got a toy again. <laughs> well, the, 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 the G.I. Joe guys, the, the first thing that would break would be their thumb. <laughs> the thumbs, the, the, and then they can no longer hold a weapon, most of them. You know, so that'd be the, that'd be the end of their fighting days. But they can still compete in wrestling until that damn rubber band would break. Remember oh, that? Yes, yes, yes. Oh. The, the, the broken thumb would be the end of their fighting days, but the rubber band, that would be the end of the wrestling days, too. No more <laughs> fighting or wrestling. You're just, you're just trash at that point. Oh, gosh, that's so great. I, I miss I miss the old days, like sitting there and playing with your action figures and, and playing He-Man and G.I. Joe and Thundercats and... See, Brian's too young for this. He's like, yeah, I'm shaking my head. He's <laughs> like, I don't understand what you're talking about, G.I. Joe's. Do they what? even make toys anymore? Uh, they do, but they look crappy. Like, mm-hmm. I, like today's action figures. I think the only thing that looks cool is like the Marvel toys. I, 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 I look in. I, I just recently bought a Randy Savage um, action figure, one of them like big ones. It's in the like the old like was it wrestling WrestleMania two? They were in the ring going down the ring. Six. That was six in the ring. They were going down. Yeah, with the golf cart. Yeah. Yeah. So they had them, and I bought the I bought the Randy Savage one because I I, I need a Randy Savage. The golf cart. Remember WrestleMania three? They had the little ring that took them down to the ring. That's what. Yeah, okay, so it was, it was WrestleMania three. Okay. Three, yeah. three was going through. Yeah. Six though. Yeah. Okay. Because four and five they couldn't do. Because four and five was at Trump Plaza. Yeah. Because four and five they I, walked I down went the steps. To, I went to that. That was that was a huge WrestleMania. Used to be such a huge deal. You know. Now then, then there was now there's shows every month, but 
WrestleMania used to be so huge. I remember yeah. WrestleMania one, we didn't know it was WrestleMania one, it was called WrestleMania, you know, yeah. but, uh, that was on closed circuit TV where you'd have to go to a big arena and they would show it there on a, uh, on a, on a, on a, on a like a theater screen, you know, but it'd be in a wrestling arena and they, the one in Pittsburgh, which was the closest one to where I lived. Of course I couldn't go. I was too young, but the screen, the feed didn't work. So like the, the people trashed the place. They were throwing their trash everywhere. So as a result, they showed WrestleMania on free TV the next day in, in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. And it was, it was a bit of a dilemma for me because that that was the day that they showed uh it, this was taped obviously but that was when the the episode of uh, worldwide wrestling when uh, magnum beat wahoo in the cage for the US title that, those were air, aired at the same time wow. so i kept having to flip back and forth between wrestlemania which was which was like the day before <laughs> to, to, to to watch magnum and wahoo that was like a month ago but there was no internet, so we didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, you know, but I thought Magnum Magnum was going to win. But just in WrestleMania, I think the first WrestleMania I got to actually see was three, and that was the the closed circuit. And then I watched a few of them there on the closed circuit. And then, have you guys all been to WrestleMania yet? WrestleMania 15. You have, to go, you have to go at least once. You have to go at least once. Yeah, even, if it, even if it does suck, you still have to go. My my brother is a referee as well. He's also a wrestler. He's done a lot of um, extra work for WWE. Mm-hmm. And then, he, well, he was an ECW ref. And he did some stuff with TNA too. So it's like going and hanging out and doing all that. It's pretty cool. I went to the one... Uh... The one in Houston where Undertaker and Shawn Michaels had a real good match, but it wasn't even the main event. I don't know what year that was. 25 and 26 were the two WrestleManias, I think. They fought each other. 26? Houston. Houston's one I went to. What's that? 25? 25. 25. I listened to George for a minute. (laughs) George knows. I was like a star. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hold hold on, hold on. Like, I've been to SummerSlam. A Royal Rumble. I've been to the Rumble. And uh, King of the Ring. Uh, those don't count. Those are, those are just shows. There's WrestleMania and there's everything else. <laughs> but the only one I need to see is Survivor Series. And then I'll go see an all WrestleMania. I want to get them all. Now, I, I also, back in my youth, I did get to see the Great American Bash back yes. when it was a series, like a month a month long series of shows. Ooh, it was yes. at the, the big stadiums. And I remember this was the time frame when uh, Sting had uh, hurt his knee trying to climb up a cage. <laughs> Not, he, he, he was trying to interfere or save somebody or something and blew his damn knee out. And uh, I don't remember who was in the main event, but I know it was, I think it was Flair and Anderson. I can't remember who they were wrestling, but Sting was at ringside on crutches. And something happened where... Uh, Sting got in the ring and clotheslined Flair, and uh, that was the finish. Was whoever the baby faces were pinned Flair after Sting clotheslined him, and I remember Flair laid motionless in the ring for 
a good six or seven minutes wow. without moving, and he laid there motionless, and then all of a sudden, like people were leaving and stuff, all of a sudden he just kicked out and held, held up two fingers. <laughs> it was as if he just regained consciousness, you know, after after like five minutes of laying there motionless. <laughs> that Great American Bash also was cool because, um, you know, you didn't get a, the wrestlers. It ain't like nowadays where the wrestlers all have little flea markets set up all around the building. Back then, you didn't see the wrestlers unless they were wrestling. So my my, my brother and I went to the 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 convention center really early. To just we thought it was a big deal to watch the wrestlers arrive. Yeah, not to go <laughs> harass them for a photograph, a photo, or an autograph. But just back then, it was a big deal to watch them arrive yes. you know so we'd see the cars come up and we'd try to guess you know who was in what car and then finally a limousine comes only one limousine came that night and we thought all right that, that has to be the player that has to be the nature boy who else would come in a limousine and the guy in the limousine exited the limousine with no bag, no suitcase, no shirt on, no shoes on. He had cut off Daisy Dukes and sunglasses. It was Buddy Landell. Oh, nice. Buddy Land yeah, Buddy Landell. He, he had no gear bag. He had no, he had no shoes. He got out of the limousine and just walked into the building barefooted across the parking lot. He just said, screw just, it. <laughs> yeah, just sunglasses and Daisy Dukes. That's what Buddy Landell arrives at the Great American Bash wearing. I, I mean, I guess they, somebody else had his stuff somewhere. I don't know, but the limousine dropped off this, you know, his Buddy Landell, Daisy Dukes and sunglasses. That's it. That's great. I remember like, going to hockey games and waiting for the players to leave that was back in the old days and when it was fun now now you can't do that stuff right oh now your breath's poisonous you'll cough on them and kill the grandma <laughs> um go ahead. murdering bastard <laughs> all right so we got one more question for you um so we this question kind of gets over with the show um so the question is called table of five you're the fifth person at the table and there are four other people at the table with you you have you can have milk and cookies with them you can do whatever but they're at the table with you who would the four other people be that you would have at the table well uh i pick people that are alive because dead people would be both boring and stinky. That's a new one. Pick it, I definitely pick people that were alive. Oh, I don't know. I would probably, one of them would have to be some female I was trying to impress. And then the other, the other three would be like three really cool wingmen to impress the woman of these people that I knew. <laughs> That's great. So it would it, it would depend on what woman I was trying to impress because I would easily select the three other guests strictly to impress the woman. So I I couldn't really get it. It had to be a very specific situation. That's right. I, I, I love that answer. That's, that's probably the best answer we've ever had. So different people would be cool for different. And maybe if I was in a relationship, I would not even say it like that. Maybe if I was in a relationship, I could just rattle off for like really interesting people that might be fun to talk to. But like, you know, when you're single, like your only motivating factor is to not be single. So, so that's, that's where I'm going with it today anyway. You know, this ranks up there with like probably one of the best ones we've ever had. So we're going to end the show. We're gonna, I'm going to say this is the 2300 Wrestling. I am D.B. Richards. And I'm Dave Keener. And I'm Brian Bennett. And we just had Necro Butcher on the show. We'll see you. We'll see you in the ring. In the ring. This is the true king of death matches.
the Necro Butcher, and you're listening to the 2300 Podcast. See you in the ring.